Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Sam, and I'm excited to be guest teaching this morning uh, for our series, our Lenten series that we're in the middle of. It's called Open Your Eyes. And uh, it's a series that calls us as Christians to reflect on what we believe and how we live, how one of those affects the other. And that's exactly what Lent is all about. It's about reflection. It's our chance to turn inward and take inventory of how we live, how life has gone, where we're headed, and why we've lived the previous year the way that we have. It's a chance to take stock of our triumphs, our mistakes, our highs, our lows, and set some goals for the future as well. Mike did a great job talking about that idea last week, that high and and low idea. In talking about hell, he tied that to uh, symbolically to the garbage dump that was nearby called the Valley of Hanam. And uh, that's exactly what that passage is, is talking about. And we're responsible as Christians to the quality of life that we choose to live. How much of a garbage dump we choose to live in our own life as well as what we choose to spread around to others. And Lent is the time we get our bearing and chart our course in general ways to determine that quality. Some of them are more general, some of them are more specific, right? And so the general ways aren't too hard to reflect on. Are we where we wanna be in our relationship with God? Are we where we wanna be in our relationships uh, with with others, with family, with significant others, uh, coworkers, whatever the case may be? What about our civic goals? What about our professional goals? And all of these things can kind of be taken into account. You can look at your life and say, how are things going, you know? But probably the more difficult part of Lent is the idea of repentance. Now, repentance is just a, a fancy word in the Bible that really just means to change your mind. That's all it means. And you can repent negatively, or you can repent positively. You can change your mind by choosing to no longer do something, or you can change your mind to begin to do something. And both of those are legitimate reflections of Lent. You can do either one of those things. And of course, the most common idea is a negative one is to give up something, you know, kind of silly like chocolate or uh, maybe um, uh, coffee or something like like that. But I mean, let's be honest, those are pretty serious things. In my life, chocolate and coffee, that's pretty serious stuff. But you can take on new habits and use Lent as a springboard to overcome something truly significant in your life as well. So the origins of Lent are a bit lost in the shadows of Christian history, but the main aspects of the tradition are found in its name. Now, Lent lasts roughly 40 days until Easter. Why does Lent start when it does? Well, we know that Lent starts on Ash Wednesday, but that doesn't really tell you why Lent starts in the middle of February. No one really knows that, right? Well, here's the answer. The word for Lent is the shortened version of an old English word that means spring, the opposite of what you see right here. The European countries in which Lent began had terribly harsh winters and still do, right? So the church came up with a way for people to have time to reflect on their spiritual lives when they really couldn't do much else because everyone was shut in because of the weather. So let's put it this way. What we've had for the last year, as far as quarantining and isolation over the past year as a nation, the winter season has forced Christians to do prior to technology advances where you could 
kind of still have fun in your home, right? Uh, they've, it's forced people to stay in and reflect because there was nothing else to do. And Christians have done that for millennia. And church leaders saw that as a chance, that winter season, that shut-in season, that quarantine each year, as a chance to create an opportunity for self-reflection during that time. So though Easter roughly coincides with the beginning of the spring season, the 40 days thing had more to do with biblical symbolism than an actual 40 days. Think about it. Jesus was tempted in the desert for 40 days. The Israelites walked around in the wilderness for 40 years. Noah's flood lasted 40 days. That's that's pretty common. You know, you're seeing this number over and over in the Bible, so there must be something going on. You get the idea. So these timelines could likely actually be a 40-day period. That's possible. But something else may also be going on in these biblical passages where there are symbolic numbers used to convey something uh, deeper in, in those scenarios. And in this case, 40 is 4 times 10. Four in ancient numerology, biblical numerology, represents the four corners of the earth. In other words, totality of everything being covered. You see this number again pop up in Revelation, like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. It's because they went everywhere and destroyed everything. That's where that idea comes from. And the number 10 has always represented completeness or fullness in spiritual things. Now, we've kind of co-opted that as a Western society. We talk about, you know, on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best, the most, the highest, whatever that case may be. Or when a, a, a gymnastics person does something at the Olympics, man, hold up that 10 out of 10 card, right? Or she or he's a, a, a 10 out of 10, <laughs> right? We still use that that term. So, 40 days really means combining those two ideas together however long it takes. It symbolizes the fullness of everything needed to become spiritually complete. How long did it take Jesus uh, in the desert, the Israelites in the wilderness, and the floods upon the earth? It took four times 10. It took as much and all that it took to make it happen. And the same thing applies here with Lent. 40 days of Lent. How long does our reflection upon our spiritual life take? As long as it needs to. As long as it needs to. Four times 10. And that's the importance of that, that, uh, that number. So enough about that. Let's talk about our scripture today as it relates to Lent and opening our eyes to our own spiritual condition. So it was read earlier to you in the message translation, and I'm going to read it to you again because you can really hear the frustration in Jesus's voice in this passage. So I'm going to read it a little more dramatically to you to try to get that across, try, try to get that across to you this morning. So the passage, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, he says, you're hopeless. What arrogant stupidity. You say, if someone makes a promise with his fingers crossed, that's nothing. But if he swears with his hand on a Bible, that's serious? That's so dumb. What ignorance does the leather on a Bible count for more and carry more weight than the skin on your own hands? Of course not. And what about this piece of trivia? He says, if you shake hands on a promise, that's nothing. But if you raise your hand to God all of a sudden as your witness, that's serious? A promise is 
a promise. What difference does it make whether you shake hands or raise hands? What difference does it make if you promise inside a church or outside a house of worship? A promise is a promise. Talk is cheap. Promises matter. God is present. God is watching, and he's holding us account regardless of how we make that promise. You hear how frustrated Jesus says, uh, sounds in that passage? It's just like, talk is cheap. Do what you say, say what you do, and be honest about it. Have integrity about it. Now, the Pharisees really, this is why Jesus was so mad. They really took the basics of the Jewish faith, the simplicity found in that faith, and they turned it into something much, much more complicated. They turned it into something else. The Pharisees at the time was the name that was given to a group of people that considered themselves uber-religious, and they were the spokespeople for God. They actually called themselves something else other than Pharisees. They called themselves the Haberin, was their Hebrew name, which is basically translated the associates or the colleague or the the in-group the group that knows what's going on. They were businessmen, not clergy, whose main goal was to never break a law, the ones in the Bible and the extra laws that they put around it to make sure they wouldn't break the biblical laws. And they also thought it was their job to police others who may be breaking what they consider to be one of God's laws. And Jesus made fun of them all the time. Like all the time, he used them as a joke because they were so ridiculous in their attempts to impress God by keeping rules and showing their own piety. Now, of course, this pushed Jesus over the edge sometimes, and then that's the reason we have passages like this one where you hear his anger. You know, why was Jesus so upset? If they were harmless, you know, if they just kept, you know, you know people like that who keep a bunch of extra rules that really don't matter, and you're like, okay, buddy, if that's what you want, if that's what you want, I guess that's good for you. But um, it made Jesus mad too. Why? Because they gutted the beauty of God's love by substituting a bunch of rules that were unnecessary. By doing that, they implicitly made God look like some kind of monster, some type of ogre who just strangles the life out of his people by micromanaging them with rules. Like he's the worst manager on the movie Office Space, right? That idea, that guy. I'll give you an example of what they did that drove Jesus absolutely bonkers. There's a passage in Deuteronomy, it's in chapter six, about binding the word of God to your hands and to your your mind or your forehead, some translations say. Now, we know that this idea means doing the will of God with your hands, like acting on something, being the hands and feet of God, and then meditating on the word of God with your mind, right? But these fellas, the Pharisees, the Haberim, they went all out literal on this stuff. They thought it was a literal thing. And so what they did is they tried to bind the word of God to their hands and to their heads. Literally, they took little boxes called phylacteries and they tied them on their hands and then they strapped them on their head and walked around with them on. What's in the little boxes? Well, of course, the word of God, right? That's what the scripture says, bind it to your forehead. So that's what they did. They bound it to their forehead. 
And with this, the Haverim became literally just the entertainment of Jesus's day. They were like a walking real-time meme for people back during that, that time. People used to call them the bleeding Pharisees, the bleeding Pharisees. Why? Because those boxes strapped to their heads sometimes interfered with their peripheral vision. And so when they were taking a sharp turn around a corner or maybe trying to duck beneath um, a walkway, they would smack themselves in the head. Or sometimes they would see a woman coming the other way and they didn't want to lust after her. So they closed their eyes, but they kept walking and they would run into things head on, bash their head with their phylactery and cause themselves to bleed. The bleeding Pharisees, that's what they were called. Now, do you think that God is interested in having tiny boxes strapped to our bodies in this passage? Is that his main goal here? No, no, he's talking about how we live out the word of God, how we think about the word of God, right? He, of course he's not. He's trying to tell us how to live. But these guys, the Pharisees, they were straight up literal Larry's. Literal Larry's. I don't know if you know what literal Larry's are or what literal Larry is, but he's this internet phenom from Twitter. He's probably a group of people. So literal Larry has a Twitter account and he polices the tweets of corporations and famous people for comments that don't make sense literally. Like if someone uses an analogy or uses a symbol, literal Larry is right there to correct them. Burger King, Skittles, we'll see in a minute, Buffalo Wild Wings, they've all been corrected by literal Larry. No one is safe when Larry's correcting everyone tweet, everyone's tweets all day, and he is. So I brought some examples for you to see. So one of the things Larry likes to do, he will quote a quote, and he'll say, if you want something done right, you have to do it for yourself. And then he tells you why it's wrong. He says, false. If you're dumb, have someone smarter than you do the task if you want it done right. Now, all you have to do is think about that in like a Dwight Schrute voice from the office and you've got literal Larry. How about the next one? It says, shoot for the moon. If you miss, you'll land among the stars. You know, it's this long time, decades long quote that people do. Nope, Larry's not having that. He's like, nope, not true. Not true. The nearest star to the moon is over 900 million miles away. Nope. <laughs> Can't do it. Right. And then uh, with the memes where the memes, I'm going to tell my kids meme that's going around. Um, here's one. It says, I'm going to tell my kids this was Jeff Bezos. And uh, literal Larry, he jumps in there to save the day in case anyone misunderstands. He says, that's not Jeff Bezos. That's a cat. Just in case you were wondering, literal Larry is there to let you know. Now, he will bring corporations to their knees on Twitter, so much so this is actually the Buffalo Wild Wings account where they actually included an apology for liter to Literal Larry for not qualifying that their buffaloes did not have actual wings. So it's all a metaphor, but Literal Larry, he's there to catch them, just like the Pharisees, they're there to help the uninformed Jewish neighbors. And that's what it says. America's largest sports bar, not actually buffaloes with wings. Apologies to literal Larry. <laughs> I love it. It's so ridiculous. And this is what Jesus was talking about with this woe. People uh, like this, the literal Larrys of the religious world, the people that were really interested in keeping those rules. He called it hair splitting. He called it ignorance. The people who profess to know the most are the least informed 
about the heart of God. And he should have been upset because it is hair splitting. It is ignorance. I'll give you another example of pharisaical behavior at the time of Jesus. So the Haverim, the associates, the in crowd, as they call themselves, decided that the law regarding washing of hands was not about cleanliness. Now, there are a ton of laws in the book of Leviticus, for example, and a lot of those are customary laws or health-related laws, and God put them there because if you don't keep some of those laws before technology and medical advances caught up, it was the best way to stay safe and healthy. It was a protective measure that God built in there. And so there's a washing hands area about cleanliness and purity. So the Pharisees decided that really wasn't about true health concerns about true cleanliness. It's about ritual purity. So rather than actually wash their hands, they would dip their fingers to the knuckles and declare themselves ritually pure, spiritually pure, religiously pure. pure. And then they would get into these discussions about which knuckle exactly is the correct one to dip your fingers to. Now, I could see in today's time a bunch of Pharisees getting in a group chat on Facebook or Discord and telling each other to educate themselves in their ignorance or get ready to be canceled because you went to the wrong knuckle. And all the while, who has the dirtiest hands in the city? The people arguing about being the cleanest, the self-proclaimed cleanest. We live in a world of Pharisees at the moment. And when I say that, the plot twist is that everybody listening, we can count ourselves in that group because Lent is a time of reflection, right? We live in a world of projection and unaccountability. People project their fears and anger towards everyone around them rather than properly dealing with their emotions and spiritual grievances. And in the process, We rarely own the trash on our side of the street while we're yelling at the neighbor across the street to clean theirs up. Just like the Pharisees, we police everyone for their behavior while ignoring our own. Now, let me stop here and say, sometimes we do encounter people that are just plain evil. If you've done that, you know who they are. But most of the time, people are just being people and they're not sliding us in particular, even though sometimes their actions have an effect on us. But even when they do, it's our responsibility to not personalize that and allow God to heal us and then to let him take care of the offending party. That's the way that works. But at the moment, we live in a world, we live in a society, in a culture where the phrase live and let live, which is a great phrase to learn, is not followed right now. It's not followed. Rather than using our present quarantined and isolated season of Lent to be a time of reflection and personal accountability, what's happened because of technological advances and the ability of us to do pretty much whatever we want, we've become bored. And bored people create problems. When we get bored, we find reasons to create drama. We find reasons to draw attention to those we feel are wrong. We dwell on the hurts of the past. Then we take those and we project those behaviors onto other people, people we don't know. The internet gives us a place to weaponize those past hurts against present politicians, celebrities, national leaders, and random people that are completely unaware that they've even offended someone in the first place. 
we play victim to this invisible field of aggressors who have nothing to do with us. And in the end, we police our friends and our family and our coworkers with the offenses of other people. And it makes everyone miserable. It makes everyone scared. In essence, in other words, what we've become is Taylor Swift. Yes, the Taylor Swift, that one. That's right, Ms. Swift, she's well known for writing brutal breakup songs. In fact, the running joke is that Taylor finds ways to have bad breakups with people so that she can have new song material. Now, I don't think that's the case. I think she's wounded like anyone else and that people can see it more because she's a public figure and because she doesn't have a private, actual private life anymore. So it's easy to see. But I will say this, one of Taylor's songs could definitely be our national anthem right now. And that song is, look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. The entire song is Taylor singing to a shadowy, ambiguous figure who has hurt her in the past. And that shadowy figure represents any number of past offenders. And then she declares that any poor decisions, any passive aggressive behavior, any public diatribes that she engages in are not her fault, they're that person's fault. And we do that kind of stuff all the time. There's no accountability, just self-proclaimed victim, victimization. The message is, if I destroy my life, it just proves that you were the cause of it. Look what you made me do. And if you've ever been someone who gaslights like this, it can be the most disorienting, disheartening, and destructive thing you'll ever experience. And today, today we are a nation of literal Larry Pharisees being offended by everyone else instead of choosing the Lenten way of Christ, placing our mistakes placing our circumstances and placing our emotions at our own two feet instead of throwing them at the feet of others and saying, look what you made me do. How long is Lenten season? 40 days? 40 years? The answer is it lasts as long as it takes for us to see ourselves for who we truly are. We are the author of, of our life journey, and we are responsible for improving our own spiritual health. We are responsible for us. That is part of Lent. That is part of Lent. You know what we're not responsible for? The behavior and spiritual health of others. That is not part of Lent. Our role is not to split hairs like the literal Larrys of the world, like the Pharisees, of the world is to find a simple faith, one that takes responsibility for our sins, calls them what they are, reflects on ways to improve, and then stays out of everyone else's business. That's our job. That's our job as Christians during Lent. During this Lenten season, please take time to recognize areas where you may have been unnecessary, unnecessarily judgmental, where you may have made extra rules for people who don't even know they've broken one of your rules. And avoid doing uh, the hard work of reflection. 
Don't do that. Dive in instead. Dive in for self-reflection. We all fall into that trap sometimes because it's easy to label people. It's easy to uh, quip uh, a passing judgment and then move on unaffected. God's called us to more than that. This is the time, Lent, where we open our eyes and we free ourselves from cheap talk and inaction and unaccountability. And we choose to stare in the mirror and say, what is Lent for me? How do I need to change? Not how do I think someone else should change. This is the time we free ourselves from that tendency. Lent is the time to choose to live beyond pettiness. It's a time to live beyond strife and gain new perspective. And there's no time we need it more than now. Amen.